Proverbs chapter 1. If you'll look with me in verse 3, please. Proverbs chapter 1. In verse 3. Last week we embarked on a long journey together through the book of Proverbs. Hope you all stick with me. Don't die on me now. You can't you can't go to heaven until we get through the Proverbs, all right? All right. In last week's study, we learned that a proverb basically is a lot of knowledge that's given in a few words. We also learned that these Proverbs were the Proverbs of King Solomon, King David's son, the king of Israel. In the beginning of this incredible book, we're... We're given several beneficial reasons why the Proverbs were given to us. And we learned last week that two of the beneficial reasons, if you'll look with me in verse 2, is to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. And we learn that wisdom, and the Hebrew word translated wisdom here, has the idea of having a skillful mindset, while instruction has the idea of chastening the mind with blows, with whips. Remember that? So that our thoughts, once they're chastened with God's word, will be in line with God's word. Our thoughts and God's thoughts thinking the same, the way they were meant to be. And finally, we learned that to perceive the words of understanding means to be able to sort out the good advice from the bad advice that we hear while we're in this world, and we get plenty of bad advice. And with that quick review now, we're going to, if God permit, continue on into verse 3 and learn more of the wonderful benefits to studying the Proverbs Solomon said the Proverbs are, look in verse 3, to receive the instruction of wisdom. And the Hebrew word translated instruction here is the same Hebrew word that we studied last week when it comes to the idea of disciplining the mind. And here we learn that The Proverbs help us to discipline our minds with wisdom. But the word translated wisdom here is not the same Hebrew word translated wisdom that we studied last week. The Hebrew word here, it means to be circumspect. You know what it means to be circumspect? Who can tell me what it means to be circumspect? Think of the word. When we... Huh? What... What did he say? You can't hear him. To be what? No, sir, but that's a very, very good, very good guess. That's after Thanksgiving. (laughs) All right. Think Think of the word circumspect, and I bet you'll never forget it again. First of all, she got the prefix, circum, which would would be like a circumference, a circle, okay? Well-rounded, all right? So think of a circle, and then think of glasses, spect, like put on your specs. 
So it basically means to look all the way around. To look all the way around. So the idea here, and this is where I wish my little headset was on, because you all know I like to walk around and talk. But the idea here, think of a man in the military. He's got his gun. He's out going through the jungle. Could be booby traps out there. Could be someone lurking in a tree and and, and they're going to get you. So what does he need to do? He's going to be looking like this everywhere he goes, right? And every now and then he needs to check his check his back and make sure no one's sneaking behind him. That's what it means to be circumspect. To always be on guard, looking all the way around. Make sure you don't step off into something that you don't need to. So the idea here that these Proverbs will give you wisdom in the sense of the Hebrew word translated wisdom here, it gives us another idea of wisdom, another aspect of wisdom in the sense that the Proverbs, if you'll commit them to your heart, they'll have your back. If you keep them at the front of your mind, they'll, they'll watch your six for you. They'll cause you to cautiously ponder the steps that you take to keep you from falling into harm's way. We always say you need to look before you leap, right? (laughs) Well, the Proverbs will help you to look and to see the pitfalls, the booby traps, before you step into them. They'll chastise your mind with God's word so you'll step carefully according to the Scriptures rather than carelessly according to the lust of your flesh. That's really the battle that we face We have an impulse to do something, so we do it off our feelings, off our gut, off our carnal lusts. We do it, and then later we regret it and regret it and regret it over the years, and you can't take it back. But the Proverbs will help you to look circumspect. A really good illustration is some of these vehicles that when you put on your reverse... Yeah, it has the little backup camera on there, but some of them have that 360 view. Brother Shepherd probably drives. He, he's luxury. But, you know, uh, but when you have that 360 view, you're circumspect. And you're able to make sure no damage gets done to your property. And with the Proverbs, you're able to make sure that no damage gets done to your life. You look. Before you leap, not only will they give you the instruction of being circumspect, they'll discipline your mind so that you'll be circumspect, have a walk with a a godly 360 view of life. But they will also give you the instruction, look back in your text, of justice. Justice. Well, we had a federal judge years back, William Wayne Justice. Tell you what, if you was a TDC guard, you sure didn't like him. But the word justice, when we think of justice, we may think of someone like him. We may think of sending someone to prison. We may think of Smokey and the Bandit, Buford T. Justice, you know. But when we think of justice, what does this word justice mean? The Hebrew word translated justice here, it means to be right. 
to be right. You know, if there's one thing I hate is I hate being wrong. I don't want to be wrong. I hate realizing, I hate doing something. And then later when I think about it, realizing I was wrong. I hate feeling bad about something I said, bad about something I did. I mean, I would rather be right at the start than to discover I'm wrong at the end. And if you have that 360 view, you can see the car in front or behind you before you say, Oh man, I wish I'd have checked better before I had that fender bender. So it's to to give us the instruction of wisdom, of that circumspection, and also of justice that we can be right in what we do, to, to be right at the start rather than to discover we're wrong at the end. And that's what the Proverbs will do for you. They'll help you make the right decision according to God's word. Oh, how many times we have gone off impulse. We have gone just maybe on someone's advice, how we feel. And then later we realize we're wrong. But if we'll mind the word of God, if we'll mind these proverbs, keep them at the front of our mind, we can be right at the beginning and not wrong at the end. So that's the whole, the whole idea of justice here. The, the, the Proverbs will help you make the right decision according to God's word. That's the whole concept. When you think of our legal system, that's the whole concept of justice there, to be right. When you think of being right and you think of our justice system, the justice system is supposed to make things right in situations where things have gone wrong, right? They, they make things right in situations where things have, have gone wrong. Here recently in the news, when the prosecutor tried to convict Mr. Rittenhouse, he thought, I suppose, that he, there was something wrong that Mr. Rittenhouse did, and now he's going to make it right. He's going to set things right. But when he was tried before a jury of his peers, the jury in essence said, No, you're not right, Mr. Prosecutor. It isn't right what you're trying to do to this young man. We, the jury, find the defendant not guilty. See, justice is a beautiful thing if it's truly justice. Being right is good and pleasant in every way. You think of making things right if if someone comes and they steal, embezzle money from your bank or something, embezzle money from, from your business or they steal something from your home and they owe you money, that's not right. And so a, a just justice system, a righteous justice system, they're going to take that person and have them reimburse your money back, make you whole, and then they're going to take the wrong and make it right. You see? That's the whole idea here, to take the wrong and make it right. And I, I don't want to be 
wrong with God. I don't want to be wrong with my fellow man. I, I want to be right with my fellow man. I want to be right with my Creator. The Proverbs are about making things right when we've when things have gone wrong and, to, and, and, and if we're circumspect, to keep things right so we don't go wrong. That's even better. And I like it that the circumspection was there before the rest of all these words because it's better to never have the dent in the fender than to be able to say, well, I can take it to Brother Doug at the body shop. That would make it right. But if you're circumspect, you don't need the body shop. That's the beauty of the Proverbs. That's the joy and the hope that God's trying to give us, and that Solomon's trying to give us when he, he, he begins the, the study like this. He's saying, see, don't you see why you need these things? They will give us instruction, discipline the mind, injustice, Solomon said. Look back in your text. And judgment. Judgment. The Hebrew word translated judgment here, it it has the idea of rendering a verdict, just like the jury did in the Rittenhouse case. Judgment is the ability for you to render a verdict on a matter that's set before you. Boy, there's there's a, a, a very important thing if something comes before you as a as a mom or a dad or a or just a citizen, something comes before you. And when you consider that thing, you ought to be able to say, that's bad, that's wrong, or that's right right there. Praise God for that. Thank God for that. You ought to be able to make a decisive, judgmental decision on any circumstance set before you as far as morality goes. You know, a lot of people say, well... Uh, uh, you know, they'll ask someone like in a university or something when they made a decision, they'll say, well, did you consult with an ethics committee or an ethics professional before you made that decision? Y'all ever heard someone ask questions like that? Am I the only one? I'm the only one? Brother Shepherd, surely. You've heard that. Okay. All right. They have these ethics panels. Man, I don't need an ethics panel. Who are they consulting? Where are they getting their morality from? I get mine from right here in the Bible. This is the ethics panel. This is where we consult to know what's right and wrong. And once we know what's right and wrong, once, once we have that justice and that sense of it in our heart, we can render judgment We can render a verdict. Judgment, by the way, is what people are always saying Christians aren't supposed to do. They're wrong. We see clearly here in God's Word tonight that the Proverbs were given to us for the explicit reason of giving us the God-given ability, yea, the God-given duty, to render a verdict on a matter set before us. For us to be able to see something and then by a faithful application of God's word, be able to say, that's wrong, that's sin, or to be able to say, that is good, that's the right thing to do. 
And I tell you what, that's what this nation needs today more than anything else is judgment. That's why God gave judges in the book of Judges because the nation was losing its mind. They, they, they would have fallen apart had it not been for the judges. I tell you what, we need today. A lot of people, they cower today. They don't want to be seen as, 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 as something that's not popular. So they don't speak up. They just cower down and remain silent. They think in their heart. And they, they wait for some pundit on TV to say something out loud that they think. We don't need to be that way. We need godly men and women today to defend what is right and to be able to put wicked people to shame when they are wrong. They like putting us to shame. They say we're hateful. They say we're bigoted. They say we're narrow-minded. But you know what? We need to be able to say, you're ungodly. That's sin. <laughs> we, we need to be able to do that. Those of you who watched the Rittenhouse trial, how did it make you feel? How many watched that trial? Just a few? Several? How did it make you feel when that judge called that prosecutor out for wrongdoing? How did it make you feel? Make you feel good? That's judgment. That's looking at something and saying, that's wrong. You're in the wrong here. How did it make you feel when he saw or heard of MSNBC tailing the, 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 the jury bus and he banned them from court? That's judgment. Made you feel good. Made, gave you a little hope because somebody had the guts Somebody had the decency to call a spade a spade for a change. You quit trying to cater to the wrong. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants to make us cater to the wrong so we don't hurt the wrong people's feelings. We don't need to care about hurting the wrong people's feelings. Listen, you can be as kind in catering as you want to to ungodly people. They will never appreciate it. And catering to ungodliness will never make them more godly. It will only encourage them and enable them to become even more ungodly. They'll never be thankful. They'll never move your direction. They'll never compromise. They'll just keep taking and taking and taking and taking and corrupting and corrupting and corrupting as long as you'll let them. But we as Christians need to draw a righteous line in the sand and be able to call a spade a spade. Can you imagine how wonderful it would be if the majority of the people in this world had the instruction of judgment that our Creator has given to us here in the book of Proverbs? That in unison they stand up and say, we're not doing this. You're not teaching this to our children. We're not voting for you. This is wrong. Oh, how wonderful it would be. Can you imagine how wonderful it would be if the majority of the people quit turning a blind eye to all the godless behavior and, and started calling out the unrighteous conduct that's so celebrated right now in our world? That's not judgment. That's a lack of judgment. Do you know why so many people stand up for what's wrong today? Because they do. 
They stand up for what's wrong. Do you know why they do it? Because so many people failed to stand against what was wrong in days go by. That's why. We sat idly by. We sat on our hands. We closed our mouths. We thought, surely, surely this will go away. Surely they won't let this happen. But they did. When the matter was set before them years ago, instead of rendering a godly verdict, they remained silent on the matter. I was watching a vote on the House floor the other day on this uh, Build Back Better stuff. Trillions of dollars. Trillions of dollars. Which we don't have. It's not there. They just pretend like it's there. So they print money and all print. I don't want to get into finances, but if you ever have any questions about it, I'll tell you what happens when you print money. It's inflation. That's why everything's going up. So I was watching them vote on this. It's disastrous. Chinese giveaways, liberal slush funds. Disastrous. And you know, I'd rather see someone vote for something bad than to watch their name come up as not voting. Y'all ever watch them vote? Y'all ever watch the politics or C-SPAN or anything? Watch them vote on the House floor or the, the Senate or whatever? And you'll have people, you'll have Republicans who'll give a good speech. And it'll, you'll have yay, you'll have nay, and you'll have them not voting. They're just going to say, well, we'll just sit this one out. We're not going to say yes, but, but, but we're not going to say no. Man, what good are you? What, what good are we as Christians if when things come to our minds, there was a man at the courthouse today talking about drinking beer and everything and he'd get to giggling about it and he'd look back at me every now and then hoping I'd be giggling too and I'd just look away. I'm not going to laugh with all that stuff. You know, and, and, and what good is it if we as Christians, if someone asks our opinion, we just kind of give a hem-haw answer or whatever, or, or, or we have the opportunity to speak up and we don't, what good is it? I don't want to be a no vote. I want to render judgment lovingly. But listen, if you don't judge, you don't love. If you don't call the spade a spade, you don't love. The greatest love God gave to us was truth. And if it wasn't for God giving us the truth about the matter, we never would have came to the truth of Christ. If we weren't first faced with the bad truth about ourselves. Church, this world needs the people of God to render a verdict. The Proverbs were given to us so we could receive the instruction of judgment. Solomon said, look back in your text, and equity, and equity. The word equity means even, even. You heard of having equity in your home? You could think of it this way. Here's the balance you owe, Brother Doug. Here's the equity you have in your home. 
As you pay over the years, your equity finally gets even with the amount you owe. And when it gets even with the amount you owe, you don't owe anything anymore. You got full equity. You got a little equity down here. You got the whole equity up here. It's even between what you owed and what you paid. It's now even. That's equity. And we learned the principle of equity when we were young, even though we didn't identify it by the word equity back then. Guarantee you, Brother Shepherd did. We're old school, man. We're... But when I was growing up, if there was some settlement taking place between, between two individuals, maybe one person owed another person something for damages or maybe... We're swapping marbles. I don't know. Whatever it was. But, but when the, after, after the matter was potentially settled, I give this guy something, he gives me this or whatever. After the matter was potentially settled, before the two parties would depart, a lot of times one party would ask the other party, are we even? Did you all ever do that before? Are we even? Did you do that, Miss Ann? You're old school too. Yeah. Are we even? Do you know what we're asking when we did that? Is there equity in this transaction? That's what we're asking. Are we even? And if they felt the matter was fairly settled, they would say, yeah, we're even. And then everything was okay. I don't hear that used anymore. When we use the word even, we're basically saying that each party fared evenly from the settlement, you see. That one party didn't come out further ahead on the deal than his counterpart, leaving his counterpart to come up short on his end. If you're buying 10 pounds of grain for a dollar a pound, then once the transaction is settled, one party needs to have 10 whole pounds, the other party needs to have 10 whole dollars. Then you're even. And if one party ends up with nine pounds and the other party ends up with ten dollars, then they're not even. There's no equity in that transaction. And if you could keep that idea, that concept of equity in your mind just a moment, and remember that Solomon has been mentioning these words and uh, uh, judgment and justice and, and, and all. He's been mentioning the word equity here now in, in the context of other words that, I think if you'll agree with me, have the idea of like a court system. And Solomon, being a king, he was therefore what? He was a judge. He had to render judgment. And so as he's writing this as a king, he's probably thinking of equity in the sense of fairness in the distribution of his judgment. And he wants us to be able to have that too throughout our daily life because we have to render judgment in, in our transaction as well, though not the same as he does. And you know, equity is something our nation could stand a good lesson in. Boy, have we got things upside down. Somehow in America, people have gotten the idea that being even means that nobody should have more than their neighbor. That if Billy Baker over there has a lot of land and a lot of money, then I should have part of that too. 
That way we're even. That's how, that's how people in America are beginning to think. That, that, that working hard and, and getting ahead is somehow being entitled now. You're entitled all right. You're entitled to getting what you work for. And if you're not, if you don't get what you work for, then things aren't even. But right now, because they don't understand the principle, the godly principle of equity, they want to take money from rich people, is what they call them, and then spread their money around everybody else. I don't want anybody's money. I'm not rich. Oh, I'm rich. I'm rich in in, in the, the true treasures. But I'm not rich in this world. But I don't want another man's dollar. Lord takes care of me as long as he gives me health. If I can't work, I'll get a room at Brother Doug's house. All right, brother. But, but that's what they want to do. The, 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 the liberal left wants to demonize wealthy people and, and reward lazy people. And they, they think that's equity. They want rich people, if you have money... They want you to feel guilty for having the money you work for. And then they want the poor people to feel entitled to the money that they didn't work for. That's not equity. That's way off balance. And if you're thinking, but, but, but that would be equity, Brother Richard, because the money would be distributed equally among the people. Oh, that's true. The money would be distributed equal among the people. But it wouldn't be equity. Do you know why? Because the work wouldn't be distributed equally among the people. The sacrifice wouldn't be distributed equally among the people. I was up at 4 something a.m. this morning. Getting ready to drive two hours to work. Then go home, eat something quick, then come up here. And then go back home and start over again in the morning. So if someone wants an equal share of what I earn, I'll be glad to share them the hours that I spend. That's equity. An equal distribution of wealth to all Americans could only be equity if there was also an equal distribution of work, of sacrifice, and of the headaches of running a business. No, Solomon is not telling us to be socialist here. I hate it when people take God's word and they don't know it and they they, they try to use it to, to promote foolishness. He's telling us to render our judgments in equity. In other words, our judgment should be equally applied to all parties involved, to all persons. We shouldn't hold strangers to one standard And then hold our friends and family to another standard. I remember my dad when I was uh, young and engaged in child child labor. Basically slave labor when I grew up. (laughs) That woke him up. All right. But I remember working for my dad when when I was young. And I I remember there was a, a, a business next door to ours. And they had a credit card machine. My dad hadn't quite gotten that. I mean, we, we had it where we could like that, you know, with the old 
thing like that. But but uh, but but at first, you know, this this credit card stuff was new, and and he told my dad, he said, Kenneth, y'all need to get you a credit card machine. He said, boy, these folks from out of town come in. He said, they'll pay anything to get back on the road. You can charge them high. They won't have the money, but they'll swipe that card. My dad said, no, I'm not going to charge some person out of town just because I don't know them. They're strangers. They're down there. Like, I'm not going to charge them any more than I'm going to charge someone here in town. And I remember that as a young man that's sticking in my head. And I admired my dad for thinking that that's equity. We should equally apply the law and the God-given rights of people evenly as well. We shouldn't enforce laws on one group of people and then not enforce them on another group of people. We're seeing that today. It's inequity, which is where we get a word iniquity from. You see? It's where the word iniquity is not equal it's not level, it's not straight, it's not right. But we, we should enforce laws equally to, to everyone. We shouldn't have one set of qualifications to get a, a, a job for one gender or race and, and then another set of qualifications for another gender or race. It should all be equal. I kid you not, when I worked for the state of Texas, the God-blessed state of Texas, may I add, but when I worked for the state of Texas, they came up with this, uh, this plan to get everybody in shape. And if you didn't pass this, this plan, you had to, to get tested twice a year. If you didn't pass this physical agility test, then you couldn't promote, you couldn't get a pay raise. Anyway, they had different ways of disciplining you. And I remember... Taking my test one day, there's a group of us taking them, and I had to do so many sit-ups in so many seconds. So many sit-ups in so many seconds. I was in my 40s, my mid-40s. And there was a young female there with a little pot belly, little pot belly female, probably about this tall. I don't know, she may be a little taller than that. But she wasn't very tall. A lot younger than me. A lot younger. Didn't have much time on at all. And I remember they were doing sit-ups two at a time. Two at a time. And then one guy with a stopwatch and one guy counting and that's how they were doing it. So it was me on one part of the floor, her on the other part of the floor, and we're doing sit-ups. Because I was a man, I had to do more sit-ups than her. Or I couldn't get a pay raise or anything. Because she was a woman, even though she was much younger than me. She got up, when she got through with her few sit-ups, sat down in her chair, and she's watching me continue to sit up and up and up and up and up. Equal pay but no equal qualifications. Equal distribution of money, but not an equal distribution of qualifications, of standards. It's not equal. It's pretending that everybody is equal when they're not. It's a big lie. 
and everybody knows it. If a church holds to a particular standard, that church also should apply that standard to everyone equally. I know of a particular church that held a standard or had a long standard that they held that that if, if there was a, a like a, a young lady in their church, for example, and that young lady had a boyfriend, and they weren't married, and she got pregnant out of wedlock, then there was a long standard that, okay, the church, the pastor would marry them, but it would be a quiet ceremony. Wouldn't be a big celebration with all the bridesmaids and all that stuff while she's got her little baby bump out there in the middle of the church sanctuary celebrating the sin that had taken place. But that they would honorably do it privately, have a private ceremony, get them married so they could raise the child together, make things right the best they could, but at the same time have some sense of of shame involved. And you know what? I, 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 I agree with the church for doing that. I find no fault in that church at all for doing that. But recently, an exception was made for one particular family. And by making that exception, it gave the impression that the church catered to them because they were big givers to the church. Now, I don't know the church well enough to know if that was honestly the case. Did they just give up on their standard or did they seriously cater to them without explanation to anybody else why the standard magically changed? I don't know, but do you can see the trouble that, that, that can come when you don't have equity with your judgment, even as a church? It leaves people with the impression the church cares more about the donations than the doctrines they preach. Principle of equity is based on the truth that God created all men equally. All men are equal in the eyes of God because all men were created in God's image. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.14, For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. All were dead, all equal, we're all sinners. He died for all, all equal, we're all loved. Christ died for all men because all men were dead in their trespasses and sins. And now he gives salvation freely, equally to all who believe. Who were dead? All men. For whom did Jesus die? All who were dead. (laughs) That's what he just said. And that's another reason why Calvinism is wrong. Because God is love no matter what man is. And no matter who man is. God still is love. He loves them all. God loves us all equally in Christ Jesus. When Jesus was, was on the cross. When he went to the cross. Things between us and God were uneven. God had a sense of judgment of justice, of wisdom in the sense used here. And when things happen at the cross, you know what happened? God applied the judgment and the justice. 
But where God applied the law, he equally applied the love. You see that? Equity. And when Christ bowed his head and gave up the ghost, when he said, it is finished, things between God and man were even Stephen. (laughs) Even Stephen. There's one action word I want to look at here before we go. In each of these, there's an action word, if you'll notice. If you'll look in verse 2, the action word is no. And then the word perceive. Those are the action words. Tonight in verse 3, what's the action word? Receive. Receive. You can have all the wisdom, all the justice, all the judgment, all the equity that God can give. But just like the salvation of Jesus Christ, it'll do you no good if you don't receive it. That's the action word. Receive. Means to take means to take, just like Jesus, to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And Christ, by the way, the Bible says, has been made unto us wisdom. So while you're reading the Proverbs and we're studying these together, do it with the mindset of this was given to me and I'm not going to let it go in one ear and out the other. I'm going to take it. And taking it means I'm going to apply it. And I thank God for giving it to me. With that, we'll go ahead and close. And Lord willing, get back into verse 4. Father, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you for these precious people. Thank you, Father, for giving us wisdom and justice and judgment and equity. And Lord, I pray you'll help us to be able to receive it and to apply it to your great honor and glory and to our great benefit. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.